Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are around the world. It's uh, a pleasure to be spending time with you here and now. You're listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb, and today we're blessed to have uh, two brothers from an organization called The Spirit of Martyrdom. And uh, their, their story is something that uh, captivated me. Uh, a friend told me about them and so naturally went on the web to learn a little bit more. And uh, it was just this, this story led to a bigger story, led to a bigger story. And uh, I just thought, I, I've got to chat to these guys. And so uh, I'd like to welcome to the show David and Russell. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, Julian. It's such an honor to be on and, of course, be on with uh, Russell, who's directly on the field in uh, uh, it's, it's southern uh, uh, America, and, and uh, Russell, uh, really, he brings to us on the front line, and I just want to add to this and turn a lot over this to Russell, that on all the years I've known Russell, he's the genuine article, and um, the credibility of his life is he lays down his life every day listening to the Lord and, um, and really obeying him. And because of that, literally uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, Latinos have, have heard the gospel, been transformed in their life. And so I'm, I'm excited, Russell, to be on with you and, and for you to share your stories. Yes, I'm glad to be here, too. Um, I got going you know, early in life when I prayed at age four that God would call my parents to be missionaries so I wouldn't have to wait till I grew up to go out and help people in South America. And uh, by the time I was eight years old, we were on the mission field. My dad was uh, with the Wycliffe Bible Translators and in charge of uh, uh, supervising uh, Bible translation efforts in many languages in Colombia and uh, Panama for a number of years. And uh, I grew up traveling around with them and then um, became a missionary pilot uh, at a, about 19 years old, flying around the jungle. So, so what, what, what prompted you? You know, it was like, uh, I mean, when I was four, I wanted to be either a garbage man or an astronaut, you know, and I, I'm neither. So, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, when we're four, we have this, something comes into our mind and it's kind of like, aha, you know, um, what was it that, that, that prompted you, Russell, that, that placed something so deep within you that made you want to do, um, become a, a missionary? Well, I, you know, was exposed to, you know, very excellent missionary, um, statesmen at an early age, um, people like David Wilkerson, um, Lauren Cunningham um, and others would come by and do missions conferences at our church in uh, Bloomington, uh, suburb of Minneapolis. And so I got to, you know, I don't know, you know, at 
four if I would have picked up on that, but I sure did by the time I was a little older. And uh, I just had that desire in my heart uh, to um, to want to help people. Now, my dad had showed me, you know, pictures and and stuff of how people lived in other countries. And sometimes he got the wrong materials and it was not, you know, stuff you should be showing little kids. Mm-hmm. But um, it all had a tremendous impact on me uh, to want to do something. And so, uh, you know, w- within you was this, this this strong desire to help people. Um, but why 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 did you require Christ to do that? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of a number of organizations out there who feed the homeless and they're, they're secular. Um, you know, why why bring Christ into this mix? Well, my, my, you know, when I was looking at some of these situations, I said to my dad, why do they live like that? And my dad said, well, I guess they don't know any better. And so I said, well, why don't they know any better? And um, I um, and he said, well, I guess no one uh, has gone to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those people. And I said, well, why hasn't anyone gone? And he said, well, no one really cares about those people. No one cares about them. No one, no one really loves them enough to share the gospel with them. And so I said to my dad, I said, well, you care, don't you, dad? And he said, yes, son, I care. And so I said, well, why don't we go help him? And my dad hemmed and hawed and said, well, you know, be a missionary. God would have to call you. God would have to open the doors. To, you know, you can't just take off for a foreign country. And maybe when you grow up, you can be a missionary. And that's when I prayed and asked God to call my parents to be missionaries so I wouldn't have to wait till I grew up. <laughs> so, uh, so, well, that, you know, that, that's wonderful, particularly at such a young age to have a call placed on your heart, you know, something that's not just sort of a fad. Oh, wouldn't it be great, you know, uh, oh, I, I sort of feel this desire, you know, to this, but this, it seems to be that, don't let me put words into your mouth, that there was this, this call, this something that there's something wrong. This needs to. I, I need to, you know, uh, at least work to 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 to, to tackle this. And uh, this was placed on your on your heart at a very early age. Is that right? Yes, and uh, you know, then it followed. You know, the next year I dove into a pile of cardboard boxes in the in the basement with my cousins playing, and ran one of those big brass jagged staples through one of my eyes, Oof. and almost destroyed the eye. So bad that the doctors wanted to take my eye out because they said it wouldn't, you know, I'd never be able to see properly. And it, if it got infected, they thought I'd lose the vision in the other eye. So they scheduled a surgery. And my parents, uh, you know, weren't even sure they believed in miracles at that point. But I knew that I wanted to be a missionary pilot. And I knew at five years old that with only one eye, that wasn't going to be possible. So I prayed and I asked the Lord to heal my eyes. And I said, if, if you will, I, I said, I'll always use my eyes for you. And um, and uh, when we went down for the next, uh, you know, the for the doctor to see me prior to operating, he couldn't find anything the matter with my eye. He couldn't even tell which eye it was that had been hurt. Wow. <laughs> Praise God. So, uh, so that there's another a uh, affirmation of uh, of your call and God sort of clearing the way for you to do. But tell tell us in more in more detail. You know, I've read a bit about you and um, looked on the web and so forth. But but what what is your call? Spell it out to us. Well, you know, I don't know. I've done a number of things. I don't know that I'm the best at any of them. But uh, I've gone with what the Lord has put in my heart, and particularly in the areas that were. It seems to be the where the most need is, 
And so, you know, there's lots of people traveling around the United States and ministering and traveling around the big cities, but I've been led to go out into the rural areas, the areas that have been under um, communist control or under right-wing paramilitary control or where there's you know, conflict, war. Um, uh, right now, uh, of course, there are the borders. Columbia are considered to be some of the most dangerous borders in the world. Mm. But these are places where God is moving and where there's a tremendous uh, amount of uh, revival going on. And so, you know, without without giving, uh, you know, places, names, so forth, you know, t- t- tell us about this uh, revival, because, you know, it's something in the U.S. we I, I hear, you know, oh, we, we need a revival. We need a revival. Um, and yet. Uh, I, I hear in other places because because I, I haven't been, you know, uh, that there are these sort of mini revivals taking place, you know, all over the place. And uh, uh, so, so t- t- tell us about these revivals. What, what, you know, obviously people are coming to Christ. You know, I appreciate that. But but uh, what what are the uh, what, what what are the situations? Can you give us some examples? Well, twenty five years ago, a friend of mine came back from Venezuela and said. Those Venezuelan evangelical Christians are some of the most proud, arrogant people I've ever seen in my life. They need a reality check. <laughs> and um, Venezuela at the time had one of the highest per capita incomes in the world. Uh, and now, 25 years later, it's been totally devastated. They're down in the bottom rung of per capita income, about like Uganda in Africa. And um, they've been greatly humbled. Uh, people literally starving to death. They've eaten their pets a long time ago. No, no more cats, dogs, anything. Wow. They're you know, trying to get in, their hands on anything they can to eat. People eating, uh, you know, banana peelings and bark off of trees and um, really bad. And so they basically have one of three options. Either get out of Venezuela and try and find a job and send some money back to your starving relatives. Or number two, cozy up to the uh, socialist government and see if they'll help you out. You know, the, their, their friends, starting with the military, get... Uh, suit of clothes a day. I mean, suit of clothes, one suit of clothes a year, and one meal a day, uh, guaranteed. Or the the third option would be to render your life completely to the Lord and depend on Him. Mm. And you know, most of the pastors we know over there now spend at least ninety percent of their time just making sure that the weaker members of their congregations don't physically starve to death. Goodness. So uh, there are huge amounts of people totally turning to the Lord. And if and when uh, Venezuela comes out of this and, uh, you know, to back to some semblance of being normal, then we'll see who really is a Christian. Because, you know, the, somebody who turns to the Lord in a foxhole, well, you don't, don't know for sure if they're really a Christian until they get back out of the war and see if they uh, follow the Lord in normal life. You know, but but right now there's the churches are flooded in Venezuela and jam-packed and there's a revival going on all through their society and uh, people are desperate of course for bibles mm. and other literature and that's what we're trying to provide so focusing in on on venezuela how how can we uh people outside of venezuela help um you know obviously primarily it's prayer you know the most powerful uh tool um but you know what what what, what ways can could, could we help yeah, well, prayer is a, a very powerful double-edged weapon. You know, I started praying that God would send uh, the gospel to the Colombian uh, guerrillas that were causing so much trouble. And after six months of intensive prayer, I got kidnapped and found myself in the middle of a of a guerrilla camp tied to a tree 
had with an excellent opportunity to witness to him. So, and that uh, led to a lot of other things. But um, yeah, we start by praying. At SOM, David Witt could, uh, you know, um, give you the details, but um, we've opened some accounts, uh, you know, called Bibles for Venezuela. We also have another project called Bibles Without Borders. And we supply Bibles to a lot of needy people in a lot of different places all, all over the world. So uh, a couple of things have just flooded into my mind. Um, you know, um, you, know you, uh, you, you talk in a way where it's kind of like, oh, yeah, there was that time I was kidnapped. And, uh, oh, yeah, there was. A, you know, so it's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so uh, so you're, um, you're, you're <laughs> trying to get my words out. So you're out uh, being kidnapped, you know, which is, uh, I mean, you, you sound quite sane. You know, you sound like you've, you've, you've got your head together. Um, but uh, you sort of, you know, the way you say it is just like, oh, yeah, you know, it, it happens. You know, it's kind of like uh, stuff like that happens all the time, you know. Uh, you know, like I've got a chip in my windscreen. Oh, it happens. You know, so you're tied to a tree, um, assuming with uh, people probably with weapons. And uh, uh, and uh, how how did you keep calm? You know, so you said, well, this is a wonderful opportunity for, for me to minister, you know, and and I, I bow down to you, you know, and, and say amen. But but what, what's going through your mind at that, those points, you know, why, why aren't you gripped with fear? Why aren't you thinking, oh, no, you know, I'm only however old you are. You know, I should have another 20 years and this and that. What, what's going through your mind at these times? Well, I, I did tell the Lord that I was only 27, and at least he, you know, lived here on this earth approximately until he was 33 and a half, you know, so I asked him a few more years and that I would try and make better use of them than I had been doing up until then. And, um, but I knew that if they killed me, I would go to be with the Lord. And I knew also that their chances of getting out of this, you know, when you join one of those terrorist organizations, anyone that joins, you know, say at 14, 15 years old, the odds of them living to age 30 are about one in 100. Mm. So they're basically cannon fodder. <laughs> and nobody was going to try and help them get out of there. And if they tried to leave, they'd be killed or their families would be uh, retaliated on. And so um, I, I felt, you know, like the Lord was going to get me out of it. And I knew people would be praying for me all over the world. But um, I, I felt like, you know, there was nobody worried about them. And so that's why I focused on uh, trying to reach them. So was the, was the word just so ingrained within you? You know, you, you studied the Bible every day for years and, um, you know, you've, uh, you've been praying. So was the Bible just so ingrained with you or, or and? Did the uh, were you was was your spirit spoken to by the Holy Spirit at that point? Well, yes, uh, both things. And uh, I also I started at first they wouldn't let me talk to anyone, and they just gave me a notebook and told me to doodle and keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and um, you know, I I was tied up, but you know there's enough slack in the ropes for me to write in a in a notebook. And so um, I wrote a book, reaching out to them, and the title of the book is called "Rescue the Captors." Mm. And uh, I wrote it in English. My handwriting wasn't very good. But when I got to their names, I'd spell it real clear. And so the commander looked at that, and he was overcome with curiosity. So he ordered them to bring a typewriter and paper and built me a desk and lengthened the cords a little bit so I could sit down at this desk, still tied to the tree, and uh, type this out. 
and in Spanish for them. And so um, it was like playing Arabian Nights, and they would you know sit there fighting for the cheats as they came off the typewriter to read what I was writing. And uh, and the Lord started touching him. <laughs> Pause there for a second. You're listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories, uh, talking to two brothers from uh, Spirit of Martyrdom. We have uh, David and uh, Russell. And uh, so far, we've just heard about uh, a little about the organization. I'd like to talk about that uh, uh, in more detail later on. But just speaking with uh, Russell and uh, how Russell was called to uh, serve as a missionary to go out uh, around the world to people who have not had the opportunity to learn about Jesus Christ, to learn about his love. And at a very young age, uh, he was uh, called to this position and uh, the Lord performed literally miracles, uh, healing healing him physically, uh, and then sending him out uh, to, to walk around the world easily and have everyone drop at his feet and listen to the word of God. But apparently it didn't turn out that way. Uh, we just hear that he's been tied to a tree um, in the middle of a jungle and uh, by uh, by terrorists, and so, um, but obviously he's lived to tell the tale. So, uh, Russell, so you're you're tied to a. Tr- I can't let go of this. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're tied to a tree. Uh, you're, uh, however, you're late twenties, and um, you know you're you're thinking, well, you know, that that that, that was a short life, Lord. You know, but uh, a good one. You know, so. Um, but the Lord uses you even when you're you're tied up, and uh, so so what, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to visualize this myself in my brain. So I guess God again strike me down if I go off course to, and put words into your mouth. But you were obedient even when you were tied up, and uh, there appears to to be. I mean, what what was your level of fear at that point? Well, it was pretty high for the first three days until I really started hearing clearly from the Lord and could see that he'd taken, brought me there, answering my own prayers to send the gospel to the guerrillas, which when I prayed them, I had no idea I was going to be physically you know, present. I thought, you know, the Lord can reach them some other way. But um, anyway, this is how the Lord chose to do it. And so then, uh, you know, I was I was OK with it and at peace with whatever would happen from there on, even though there were some difficult times. And um, and so, um, you know, eventually the leadership, uh, well, first of all, the, the, they went through a period where they decided they didn't want me in their guerrilla camp. And it was either shoot me or let me go. But by the time they let me go, they had all kind of come around. And uh, the top leader of the whole movement came and personally let me go and told me that my brother and I were uh, welcome to remain in areas under their control or under their influence. Wow. And so that's what opened the door for the next. The, the, I was released on January 3rd, 1984. And um, we've been ministering to, in those areas ever since. And um, all the way through a peace process in Havana, Cuba, and now even with guerrilla dissidents that didn't uh, join the peace process that are still out there on the on the borders of between Colombia and Ecuador and Colombia and Venezuela and uh, in other places and uh the, the even even the ones that's uh, continued with their rebellion have uh quit persecuting christians in in colombia it used to be that more pastors were killed each year than any other country in, in the world and um, we've known of hundreds literally hundreds of pastors and tens of thousands of christians that got displaced you know colombia still has the highest amount of displaced persons in the world more so even than uh, Syria, 
because of all the displaced Venezuelans coming across the border now. So it, we're up over 10 million displaced persons in Colombia right now. Goodness. So, you know, clearly um, you're following Jesus when you're loving your neighbor as yourself. There's someone tied you to the tree and uh, is seeking to, to harm you, you know, in, in, in many ways. Uh, and yet, you know, once your fear subsides, you know, you actually reach out to them in love and um and start teaching them the word and so so at one point they tied you to the tree and at the next moment they built you a desk they've got you a typewriter which i'm assuming in the middle of a forest must be quite hard to come by you know so uh, they get you a typewriter and and they're literally wanting to read um uh, your work as it, as it, as you finish each page is that correct yes and mm-hmm. so what what effect did you see um in these captors, you know, so, so at one point they're, they're wanting to, you know, let's kill him or let's not, you know, but, uh, what, what change, what, 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 uh, well, yeah, I guess transformation did you see within them during that short period of time? Yeah. That some of them started saying stuff like, boy, I wish I'd have met you before I joined this girl outfit. I would much rather, I'd much rather be doing what you're doing than what we're doing. They'd start seeing stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. So how, how quickly, uh, the word of God can pierce the heart and uh, and awaken people. And so, this book, t- uh, rescue the captors, is that correct? You you wrote all this into a book. That's correct. And uh, how how can um, how can anyone get a copy of this? Uh, you can order it at any bookstore. Um, just with the title, the bookstore can get it for you. Uh, you can download it uh, off of Amazon.com mm. as an ebook, mm-hmm. or off of iTunes, or off of Google Books. Or you can order print copies off of Amazon. You can get it for Kindle. You, it's it's on just about every platform that there is. Uh, we put it out for free download in a lot of places uh, as uh, ebooks. Uh, it's a great. Uh, you can get it from Spirit of Martyrdom. David Witt has them over there, and you can, you know, if somebody wants a case of them, and use it for witnessing to people. It's a great book for reaching difficult people, particularly men, and uh, it's been really effective for prison ministry. Mm. Uh, you know, if you just have a difficult person that you don't know how to break the ice with, you want to reach for the Lord, you don't know how to do it. If a person reads the first page of that book, they'll finish the book and they'll be uh, tremendously challenged to uh, surrender their life to the Lord. So, uh, David, can you give a what? So I'm look, reading here. It's uh, you can go onto the website and you can get a free copy of this book from the website. Could you could you give us the uh, the web link just in case I mess it up? Yeah, no, that's correct. Uh, so it's spiritofmartyrdom.com. So it's uh, M-A-R-T-Y-R-D-O-M.com. So that's, we get this, a lot of people get the spelling off. And I really invite people to get the book, you know, start a relationship with our ministry so we can keep them updated on what God is doing. And there's so much more to unpack with uh, Russell's story and just how God has worked supernaturally uh, to bring hope. I was with uh, Russell with the uh, leaders of the FARC, and they specifically told me that they'd called uh, Russell and another friend with them the Apostles of Peace. Now, these are men that were Marxist and atheists of the past, but they told me specifically if it wasn't for Russell, we would have never signed that peace uh, agreement. And that, you know, that civil war down there cost at least a quarter of a million people and lives. And, um, and Russell was the, in the background the whole time you know, preaching peace. Um, 
And, and, and so they were able to embrace that. So we really invite people again, they'll get a free book of rescue the captors and they can download it for free too. Um, and just, we want their, if they want to give us their contact information, we'll keep them updated. Also, Russell talked about the Bibles for Venezuela. You know, it's the word of God. Obviously it brings transformation because it connects. That's the letter from God to connect hearts right to God for God to bring that cleansing through the blood of Christ. And um, so we're passionate about bringing the word of God to Venezuela. There hasn't been a general distribution uh, in the word of God in Venezuela for over probably 25 years. And uh, so people can go to biblesforvenezuela.com and we're, we're praying for uh, 2 million Bibles. We've been able to uh, purchase and, uh, and now uh, involved in distributing over 300,000 so far. So we're on our way. And we're just seeing that just uh, feed fuel to the revival that's going on down there. So we, we have about one minute left and uh, we're going to have you back on, you know, obviously, um, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still I'm still hooked up about being tied to the tree, you know, so but I will move on. I will move on, you know. And so, uh, you know, we, we you just sort of throw these things out. Oh, yes, there was this peace treaty signed, you know, a quarter of a million people were saved. And so there's a lot to unpack. But what I do really want to focus in on the last few seconds of this show is just how, uh, you know, uh, yours, David, but uh, Russell's obedience in a time of trouble, uh, God used that miraculously, literally turning around people, his enemies who wanted to kill them and turning them to wanting to know about Jesus Christ. And so, um, you know, perhaps we're not all called to, uh, to go out to these places, but we are all called to do something. Anyway, David and Russell, thank you for joining us. We look forward to talking to you and continuing this story next week. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.